Hello and welcome to this slightly delayed episode of Sports Weekly India. We had to wait till we saw the final eight for the FIFA World Cup going on in Qatar. Before we get to that though, there's also a lot of action we want to cover from the cricketing world. Before all of that, however, here's your friendly reminder to follow us, to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, GeoSavan, or just download the BingePods app and listen to us for free. Joining me as always are Ayaz Memon and RK. Hello there, guys. Hello. Hi. Good how are you doing? And we've got Samil Arora joining in as well. Morning, Samil. Hey, folks. How are you? Not too bad. Well, Not too bad. Let's jump straight into all of the action. Ayaz, first question for you. Has the Indian team forgotten how to win? <laughs> well, it would seem so, isn't it? I mean, the manner in which they lost uh, Bangladesh, as the old cliche goes, that they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. But, you know, I mean, frankly, that was the, the most painful part. You can win and lose, and especially in white ball or limited over cricket, these things can happen. But it seems to be happening a little too frequently where India is concerned. In the Asia Cup, you could make it to the final in the World Cup. We all know there's been a lot of hand-wringing since then. And then one thought that against Bangladesh, it, this is a good way to come back on the rails. This is not like an under-represented uh, team, right? You've got Rohit Sharma, you've got Virat Kohli. Uh, you've also got KL Rahul, who seems to come back into form against the Minos. And I know that's doing him a great disservice, but really that's the perception going around. RK, you think uh, the bowling, of course, is what let us down. But you think this should have been finished off at 140 maybe? Well, I think for starters, uh, I would in turn say that the batting let us down. Because I think 180-odd, probably you should have scored about 220, 230 at least. So that's one way of looking at it. Uh, the bowlers would have got a bit of uh, cushion there. The other way of looking at it is, I think, of all the three formats that Bangladesh operate in, One Day International is their strength. I'm not saying that, obviously, because it's their strength, India, uh, I mean, obviously, India is a far superior power, superpower, so to speak. But in, in that sense, I think even the last time when India went to Bangladesh, they gave uh, India a very, very tough time in One Day Internationals. So that's another thing that we need to keep in mind. And, of course, the next thing at a very, very macro level is, it's in a sense, it's great that it's unfolding the way it is, because I think at some point in time, we are going to probably wake up and say, hang on, guys, something is not going our way. Shall we just sit down, brainstorm and figure out a way forward? Because we've got the World Cup here in India in 2023. And then we've got the T20 World Cup also that's coming up in a year's time. So there's something not working all right. Is it time now to make a few tough decisions? So I'm not Yeah, I'm disappointed that India lost. But at a macro level, I think it's not too bad. Probably this is the time for people to sit down, pause and reset a few things. I'm glad you brought up the World Cup uh, in India next year. Ayaz, everything obviously is now being funneled towards that as a major focus area. And if you look at the overall construct group, you know, is the coach's position secure given the last few sets of performances? I don't think there's a threat to Rahul Dravid's position as a coach right now. I mean, unless he wants to opt out himself. But I don't think there'll be pressure from the BCCI or, you know, or say somebody from the team coming up and saying, no, 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 we, we, which can happen. I mean, we saw that happen in Australia uh, when the, the Australian players worked against Justin Langer and, you know, in a sense, uh, got rid of him. I don't think that's the threat at all. I think that, uh, you know, to be fair to even Rahul Dravid, it's just been, it's, it's still less than a year. It's not that he spent two years 
for two and a half or three years, and then you got very adverse results. But yes, it's been a disappointing streak, even where Dravid is concerned and the Rohit Sharma in tandem, because uh, we haven't been able to win a test match in England, which we should have, and we could have won that series. We haven't been able to get into the final of the Asia Cup. We haven't been able to make a real big mark in T20 World Cup, and now we've started with a defeat here. So in all three formats, the team seems to be struggling. What happens in such a situation is that doubts emerge, conspiracy theories emerge, and you know even the people themselves, from the captain to the coach themselves, they start wondering. You know, hey, we seem to have everything going. The recipes all there, the formula there, the players are there, and the results coming, and that can be bogging down. And I think what RK says is fine. Is I agree with him. That at some stage they'll have to sit down and take a hard look. It's not just an everyday postmortem. I think they'll have to take a hard look as to what needs to be done. Three formats, all kind of you know intersecting at some stage or the other, can be confounding. RK Rahul Dravid inherited what was a fairly strong team, which was set in its winning ways, and things slightly unraveled. After that, uh, Virat Kohli wasn't the captain. He had a new captain to build his legacy with. That's not really worked out the way it has. You think so? The second part to that question is: Therefore, do you think we need different coaches for different formats? Well, that's something that has been touted. But uh, I think just going back to that Rahul Dravid question: Yes, he inherited his side from um, Ravi Shastri Kohli era. But if you look at the results overall, I think if we were to just say what India can do. in india india can still win games that hasn't changed and that will not change because in february you're getting sri lanka coming in australia is coming in so india will always go in as firm favorites in bilateral so in india i mean you've got the world cup as well so india will go in as very very firm favorites there as well in more ways than one i would probably equate in a sense india to the brazilian football team because in every tournament that you enter you're expected to win because that's what brazil are all about that's what india is all about with the riches that you've got in that sense with in in terms of the talent i mean you look at the substitutions that brazil do towards the end of the game i mean that's like mind boggling right i mean in that sense the if you don't have a you've got b you've got c you've got d so in that sense i would always compare these two teams so semi final technically is not a bad deal but it is because it is india it is a really bad deal so that's how i look at it one very very poor day would mean India is in shambles. That's how I equate India cricket to a Brazilian football team. So Brazil reaching the semi-finals of a World Cup is come on. You're supposed to reach the World Cup uh, semi-final. You're supposed to win the cup. In that sense, I don't think too much has changed. But coming back very quickly to your question, I've always believed that you need a different set of coaches for a T20 format at least because it's changing at a rapid pace. You need somebody to be on top of the game. I don't mind that the coach. going and scouting working with the analysts traveling the length and breadth of country that should be a completely separate unit is how i've always felt about this game ayaz you wanted to add something yeah i just you know couple of things one is the analogy with brazil which is very interesting but i think where the problem lies is that when you talk of football you're talking of maybe you know 32 team world cup in, in cricket basically you got 8 10 teams of which four are absolute minors you know they are best about made it qualified and been there and therefore when you talk of india in the middle situation you have to look at where india has not been able to do it i mean since 2013 we haven't been able to win a tournament a multi nation tournament we've been in the semis more often or most often but we just can't seem to make that you know next decisive leap and that is the worrying part have we forgotten how to win to start from your basic premise have we forgotten how to win that is really the issue 
you can be reaching the semi-finals as you should with six, you know, six or eight teams really in contention when you consider that other teams are like Ireland or Afghanistan just about started playing. That margins or differences between teams are narrowing. And in cricket, it is getting even more pronounced because exchange of information and transfer of tactics and skills is just so rapid that you can't afford to be lagging behind at all. And therefore, the teams which make that jump, like England have done consistently in all three formats, is something really worth admiring. And you have to start asking that what has happened? How are they able to manage this? They were a fuddy-duddy team eight years back. Swamil, is that the sort of performance that will get youngsters like you? And I'm not going to you know, share any of our ages except Swamil's. But is that the kind of batting and gameplay that will get guys like you interested in test cricket again? Yes and no, actually. Because in a way, it was quite fun to see all the big hits and the way the final session actually progressed in the England versus Pakistan match. But I don't know, maybe I count myself as a bit of an anomaly, but I didn't enjoy that as a game of test cricket per se, because that was a really weird pitch to play on. I mean, it didn't really feel, in at least in the first couple of days, like a contest between the bat and the ball. And essentially, that is what you want at the end of the day, right? Sure, everyone can see big sixes. If you want that, you can go to the T10 league as well. But why would I watch a match over four or five days? Because I want to see a contest. I want to see some sort of swing in the move in the pitch. I want to see some sort of spin movement. And that just wasn't there. It was a street, a road, basically. Think, think of this as every session being a T15 now. That's how they've really <laughs> played this one, hasn't, haven't they? I mean, the yeah. hitting was insane. 500 plus runs on the first day. Yeah, I mean, Ramiz Raja blasted the pitch. Everyone thought this was a dead pitch. But at the end of the fifth day, we got a result. And I think it's probably as close a finish as we've seen. And it goes down to Ben Stokes' declaration on the fourth evening, uh, which I think has been lauded everywhere. RK, what do you think of that? Uh, I mean, yeah, we've everyone's gone to town about how fantastic the approach and the batting was and how the first day really set up the fourth day declaration. But just to have the conviction to declare and believe that, you know, this will lead to a victory. What do you think of that? Uh, it's it's fantastic. But it's very interesting to hear the views of Somers because he's from a completely different generation. So he's spoken about the fact that, will I be interested to watch it over four or five days? It's a very, very interesting uh, point of view, which means we have to look at test cricket as a format itself. I mean, that's, that's primary. Uh, the way I am looking at this, given everything about the nature of the pitch, I mean, at the end of day one, yes, while we appreciated how quickly England scored, the focus was almost entirely on the pitch. And especially given the way the Pakistani openers responded, I think they had a partnership of about 220, 225 runs themselves. And you began to wonder, oh, it's going to be another dull, boring draw. How are we ever going to watch test cricket like that? So to make it into a game-winning, to transform this particular game into something else took courage. And that is where I would probably appreciate a team like England. So, I mean, look, let's look at it this way. When we introduced the T20 format, what did we say besides a lot of other things? We said youngsters are going to watch T20 cricket to begin with. That would serve as a good appetizer for Test Match cricket eventually. You would get crowds in, you would get people introduced to the games, and then we watch Test Match cricket and whatnot and what, uh, so on and so forth. But with respect to this particular game, I think this is transforming the way test cricket can be approached. Now, if I'm going to play England, I, I cannot afford to score a three runs and over and play 90 overs and score about 270 or 300 runs because I know I might end up losing the game. So psychologically, how much has this played on the minds of 
the other countries. So everybody will be forced to play in a slightly different way. And the next generation is in a T20 mode. So overall, the ecosystem is going to be slightly different. Well, Ayaz, you've seen a lot of test cricket over the years. You know, you've seen it from the Jeff boycott days when maybe people went off to sleep during sessions and didn't wake up. But uh, and then you see this from the same country that brought you Jeff boycott. Uh, what do you think? They, these guys are actually going out and saying we're going to redefine test cricket for the 21st century. No, no, Bapu Natkarni bowled some 20, 22 consecutive maidens, if you remember, against England. If I can quickly jump in about Adi. Adi says everything and then finally just has a disclaimer saying I'm not going to pick it away. <laughs> he talks about different eras to different people. I'm not going to give away oh, the age. It's all, we live in the asterisk age. So that's fine. No, I just wanted Sorry, to man. highlight a couple of things. But both, there's some interesting views presented by Swamil and of course RK. So one is that, look, you know, we've had a very kind of a dashing, all guns blazing kind of approach earlier. The Australian team of the 1990s and the early first decade of this century used to do it. And look at the West Indies under Clive Lloyd and then under Viv Richards, uh, you know, because they had such great fast bowlers, they would make 250 and win matches. And they made 250 with a lot of flair and style and, and whatever else. What I find amazing about this England team is that A, they are not flush with extraordinary talent. This is becoming, is looking now like extraordinary talent. But when you look at this team, which took the, you know, the field against Pakistan or even against India earlier this year or against New Zealand, you take away Ben Stokes, Jimmy Anderson, and Joe Root, and maybe a Stuart Broad if he's playing. You're talking of three big players, which is pretty much the team that played against Pakistan on this pitch. And I think, to, you know, I'm trying to go beyond the 500 runs they scored on the first day, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, you, you talk of the, if you're comparing them to the great team of the West Indies and Australia and Bradman's Invincibles and the like, you're already giving them a huge amount of credit. But I think it's not only about bionic batsmanship, which is what one is associating this England approach to. It's also about how they bowled on the last day. They didn't, you know, the intensity with which James Anderson on that dead as, dead as a dodo pitch he bowled. Or Ollie Robinson. On a pitch where in the first inning the spinner gets five wickets in the second inning he's struggling to get a single wicket. Is the fast bowlers who kept up the tempo, the momentum and the pressure on the Pakistan batsmen playing at home. The fielding which they put up. So it's, it's the sum total of all these things. The batting approach is the most easily manifest because you see it in terms of fours and sixes. But you don't see the intensity. In that entire match, you know, Jimmy Anderson bowled 16 maiden overs, which is remarkable considering how flat that pitch was. 16 maiden overs and most yeah. of them on the last day <clears> of the match where they were, because they had made such a bold declaration, you know, to defend that score on a, on a flat track. I mean, they almost lost the match, isn't it? It seemed that they would lose the match. I think it will be fascinating to see how long they can sustain this because sooner or later, teams are going to find ways exactly. around this. That is the key now. Yeah, be able to poke holes in this uh, approach. And uh, some will try to emulate this. Some will try to completely defy this and go back to the old way it was. It'll be fantastic. No, but as RK said, said, what RK said, no other other team can afford to now ignore what England is doing. You know, you can't play England and say, I'll play the old way because they're going to come at you in a different way. Yeah, it, it's going to be a fascinating few test series coming up wherever England is involved. Speaking of test cricket, Australia and West Indies engaged in another test match. Australia won and I think that's all really there is to say about that. Tagindar Chanda Paul debuted. All the best to him for his career. Let's move on to the World Cup. 
reaction in Qatar is just being fabulous. Pain have been, as the headlines went, blocked out of the World Cup. Fantastic performance uh, from Morocco to make their first ever World Cup quarterfinal. Uh, we have the final eight and there are two mouth-watering matches, really. Netherlands, Argentina, England, France that I'm personally looking forward to. RK and I were having a chat offline and we figured that Brazil and Portugal should beat Croatia and Morocco uh, respectively. But Croatia is dogged and I can see Somil not his eyebrows, but like he's got a shocked look on his face. Somil, walk us through the quarterfinals. Who do you think, who, who are your four favorites to go through? I've just stopped now. I mean, in this World Cup, I'm just stopping predictions altogether. After what happened between Morocco and Spain, I am not even going to try. But no, on a very serious note, I'm so intrigued because I genuinely cannot pick. Sure, Brazil, I think, will go ahead. I have no doubts about it. I think Morocco also will end up seeing the end of the road because even in that match against Spain, their football looked very dogged. I mean, they, they weren't creating chances and the chances when they were there, they weren't quite capitalizing on it. So I wouldn't call it a lucky win. They were resolute enough to hold Spain, but not creative enough to get past Spain. Let's also remember that. And Portugal, after what they've done to Switzerland, will prove to be a much trickier opponent and a much more lubricated opponent in that sense. But it's the World Cup. It's a matter of what team turns up on what day. So I could well be proven wrong. And I want to be proven wrong in that sense. But frankly, the big question, as you mentioned, Aditya, comes between Netherlands, Argentina, England, France... I, in these matches, I'm not even good, right? Because both the teams have looked so well balanced in all the sense. I mean, Netherlands less so in comparison to, of course, uh, their rivals Argentina. But let's not forget, right? Over the course of the entire World Cup, we've seen so many teams that have had terrible knockout stages and they've only edged out their matches. Like, for instance, Spain in 2010, where they only had 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0 the final and then they won the World Cup. Germany 2014. They edged out their way through the round of 16 and quarters until they demolished Brazil 7-1. So, you can't pick teams on that basis. It's just so much on who turns up. But in terms of a raw prediction, I think I'm still going to go for Argentina. And for England and France, after watching Mbappe and what he's done, I can't go against him. He's too good, that guy. Yeah, RK, you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, all things being equal, probably that's how I would go. More so with respect to the England-France game. Because England, uh, I think, look, you can only play the opponents that have been marked against you. But to be fair, I don't think England have thus far played huge opponents in that sense. That's one thing that I'm looking at. As far as the Netherlands-Argentina game is concerned, look, I think Netherlands as a side this particular time under Louis van Gaal is based on absorbing pressure. It's not the Netherlands of the 70s or the 80s, which uh, was talking about total football and you know plenty of flair and whatnot and stuff. They are also, in a way, with no disrespect, one of those sides which can do the one nil or the two ones kind of games. So in that sense, I would probably look at Netherlands, especially given the defense of Argentina. They're not the youngest anymore. So if the likes of uh, Klaassen or if the likes of Depay kind of outrun them over their shoulder, there is an opportunity. And, you know, Lissandro doesn't start more often than not, if I'm not mistaken, for uh, an Argentinian side. So, I mean, sometimes during these tough matches, there's a very thin line between... Uh, being tenacious and committing those fouls in the box. So one or two here or there, there could be a penalty and that could change the face of uh, how that game goes. But again, Morocco, yeah, I mean, the first thing that I just saw in Morocco is their ability. They, they conceded the, the possession. They said, we are not going to, you yeah. know, obviously win you over with possession. And in, in somebody like your Roman size, I mean, you look at, say, a team like Wolves, for example, in uh, in the English Premier League. They are the masters of your nil-nils and probably the one-nils. If you look at the goal difference, 
uh, strictly speaking, for Wolves, it won't be high at all. And one of the key reasons is you've got somebody like Saiz, who's a tall, towering defender who organizes defense. So in that sense, I, I think, if uh, Samuel can correct me, I, I think if I'm not wrong, in the group stages, they had conceded only one goal. And that was also an own goal with respect to Morocco. So you knew that they were going to absorb everything possible. So in that sense... Yeah, and, that and, will be a very fascinating game against Portugal, given how yeah. they played their last game. I mean, they just blew the Swiss away. The pace at which they played, the accuracy that they had in the passing, the finishing. I think Morocco will also have a lot more in terms of pressure given the occasion. And at the same time, the whole pressure situation of keeping a very, very rampant Portuguese front line uh, away. It's going to be a very interesting one. Uh, that I'm coming to that. That's a very interesting one. So he's now without a club. He's probably without a country. He did play uh, against uh, the Swiss and he did have a goal that unfortunately was disallowed. But uh, yeah, I think he's been called out for bad behavior more than anything over the last few weeks, isn't he? And that's a great lesson for football fans and young kids everywhere. I think that you're never bigger than the team. I think you should always just keep that in mind. But do you see him starting uh, against uh, Morocco or do you think this is a tactic that will work well where you keep him fresh for a second half burst? Somil, you want to take that? I don't see it happening. Uh, after what Gonzalo Ramos, his replacement, did in the last match where he was just able to, okay, not get to every single chance because he didn't miss a couple, but most of them, he was super clinical with all the balls that all the midfielders created. I mean, That's Ronaldo-esque. He got a hat-trick, exactly. That's Ronaldo-esque in a way. The positions that he was in, the finishes that he made, not the celebrations, clearly, but uh, that is something that a fresh, a young Ronaldo would do. He's picked up that role very well in only one match. And so, I, I will still stick to my statement that it's just about the team that turns up on the day and it could well be a one-night performance. But how do you drop someone after a hat-trick? And who do you bring Ronaldo in replacement of? Rafael Leao, the substitute used to play on the left wing, has also gone out there and scored the goal. You've got Bruno and Bernardo Silva in the middle. You can't drop them. And Ronaldo can't play that deep. Who do you drop? Joao Felix? He's been on an amazing run as well. So, I don't see the place anymore. And it could, I mean, in a way, tactically be a boon for Portugal that Ronaldo only plays in the second half. Because then you have that impact player, the, the clutch player that Real Madrid always rely on in the mid-2010s, right? That sort of a role can be assigned. And he'll be fresh as well, Arke. Yeah, in a way, I'm, I'm just trying to compare uh, the Ronaldo situation to the one that uh, Manchester United had. Look, Matt, if you remember, I mean, it was after that game against Brentford where United conceded four goals in the first 35 minutes. Two players were dropped. One was Ronaldo at the front and two was Harry Maguire. Immediately after that, the team looked a lot better as a unit. But what happened afterwards with Ronaldo is a completely different aspect because it's a long league. At the end of the day, you will have murmurs, you will have issues and therefore Ronaldo eventually wanted to go out. Now, I think the advantage that the Portuguese coach has here in a sense is... Look, we are on the quarterfinal stage. Max, he's got to manage three games. So if he can work around the ego of Ronaldo for about three games, two games, then the job is done. So in that sense, I'm tempted to go with uh, what Sommel is saying, because at the end of the day, how do you drop somebody who has scored a hat-trick is one way of looking at it. If this had been a league, it might have been different factors might have come into play, because how do you manage Ronaldo over a period of 35, 37, 38 games? But this is about three games. But having said that, the other way of looking at it, Adi, is if Morocco is going to play the game that they played against Spain, for example, try to absorb all the pressure in the world, would you have somebody who is competent in terms of heading the ball just Mm. make those 
intricate moments in the final third, just one moment here or there with a Bruno Fernandes, is that going to give you a goal? Because you don't see Morocco scoring about four or five. I mean, yeah. it, all things being equal. Is that how you would position yourself and gamble? But again, the speed with which I was just looking at one stat very quickly to go through that. Portuguese, Ramos is 21. Leo is 23. Yao Felix is about 23. So that's effectively the numbers that you're talking about in terms of the age. So that's Ronaldo's like, 37, just throwing it yeah, in there. Yeah, he's still younger than me, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so different things and depends on how the coach is going to have that conversation with uh, Ronaldo. So if he has been picked out of the team only for disciplinary reasons, are you going to say that, look, you've served your punishment, you're going to come straight back into the team? Or you're saying the team seemingly is better off without you. You can't say that in as many words to Ronaldo. And therefore, we're going to stick around with the same team. That's the conversation who's going to be interesting yeah. for them. This this could I'd love to be a fly on the wall when that conversation happens. It it could go very corporate, you know. Uh, we're thinking in the best interest of the team and tactically, we'd like for you to come in the second <laughs> half and have a big go and finish the game on a high for us. And I can just see Ronaldo throwing a bottle of water and water. But hey, I'm letting my imagination run wild. Or maybe telling Piers Morgan about it. Ooh, yeah, they are besties now. But anyway, so quick picks now. Ayaz, feel free to jump in here. Netherlands versus Argentina. Okay. You want to start with Ayaz? So I'll go with Argentina. Okay, so we've got uh, Ayaz for Argentina. RK? Uh, I'm going to stick my neck out and say it's going to be Netherlands because I backed them at the start of the tournament. I'll continue to back them. They can absorb the pressure. I think they can do that 1-0 or 2-1 wins. And Samil? I'm inclined to say Argentina, but I really think it's going to be a close one. No, don't sit on the fence there. No, Argentina it is. That's done. I, I'm going to tell all of you how much we're betting on this right after you pick your picks. <laughs> all right, Croatia, Brazil, Ayaz. Brazil. This is an. This, yeah, I, I can. I can sense this is going to be an emotional choice, all around. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would tilt towards Brazil, but it could be one of those anticlimactic games. Is what I think. It's not going to be like wow football from either side. Croatia is not going to play wow football there. Not a young side anymore. Maybe a Brazil there, only because they are Brazil. But otherwise, it's going to be a tight, not the most glamorous-looking contest, Feel I feel, yeah. And Samil, do we have a pick? I, I'd have to agree. I think Brazil goes ahead. But I think only a 1-0 or a 2-0, and that was maybe a long shot of Vinicius Jr. cutting inside, and then someone in a kerfuffle taps the ball, and it's going to be that sort of game. I'm going to say Richarlison is going to score like a couple of blinders again. Ooh, that's going to be fun. All right, here's the big one. England, France. This is going to be the most divisive of all. Uh, Ayaz, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I, I mean, using the the kind of uh, semantics that everybody is doing here, I tilt towards France for, for the reason in which, uh, you know, at least they've, they've shown strong finish. I mean, mm. so have England. And England have been on a roll. But, I mean, I just sense that England haven't been tested strongly enough so far in this tournament. RK? You know, all things being equal, I would want to go for France because the strength and the depth of that squad. But I'm also curious to see how Gareth Southgate is going to line up that particular side. Is he going to match eye to eye? And he's going to say that, look, I'm going to unleash Foden. I'm going to unleash Bellingham. I'm going to unleash Rashford and then see what you've got. Because let's not forget, I think they don't have a Raheem Sterling for this yeah. game. Raheem Sterling, yes. unfortunate incident back home and therefore yeah. he's flown out. So that option is not there. Uh, he tends to sometimes look at Raheem Sterling from the left-hand side. So is that going to give a huge opportunity for Phil Foden? Because Phil Foden does do that job coming in from the left 
for a Manchester City. So I'm curious to look at the teams. But I mean, I don't want to sit on the fence. All things being equal, France will walk in as favourite. But you never know about this England side. And Gareth Southgate, there's something about him which has made England people sit up and take notice of England over the past few seasons. Samuel? Well, England and France are fighting. Germany ends up winning. Sorry, bad geopolitics history, that one. But uh, in terms of football, <laughs> attack-wise, I, I really feel that they're well-balanced. I don't trust England's centre-backs. I trust France's centre-backs more. And that for that very reason, I think I'd go for France. So, I'm the only one who's going to say England here. I'm going to take all of your money. <laughs> and Morocco-Portugal, I think, is probably as straightforward as it comes. We just spoke at length about it. I'm just going to put everyone down for Portugal because... I don't think Morocco can really withstand what uh, Portugal will throw at them. This is probably the best chance Portugal has of really making the semis, uh, possibly a face-off against England or France. Uh, I think they wouldn't get a better chance than this to move into the final four. With that, it's a wrap on this episode of Sports Weekly India. There's a lot of action. We get a couple of days of breather. Uh, before we get back to the frenetic action all around the world. The cricket continues and we'll also be back next week with a roundup of the quarterfinals. Until then, thank you so much for listening to us. Remember to subscribe to us. Thank you, Ayaz. Thank you, RK. Thank you, Somil. And we'll see you all next week. Hey.